Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, with Pastor John King. You working on your uh, Australian accent? <laughs> I wouldn't be able to resist. That'd be tough living down there. <laughs> Get some, uh, what we call it, uh, lamb sandwiches. Sandwiches and gravy or whatever they say. I can't do it. Sorry. Goofy. Vegemite. No, we won't go there. You haven't, ca- t- haven't developed a liking for that yet? I wonder why. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you guys here with us. So, man, so nice. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, hmm. What am I going to say today? Uh, what am I doing up here? Anyway, uh, Today we're going to continue in chapter 2. I know you guys read ahead, because Pastor John just, you know, I could tell you guys have been diligent to read ahead. And, you know, it's, it's, it will make a difference in our church if we're faithful to read ahead the scriptures and to be together as a church body in doing so. I really believe it's going to make a difference in our fellowship, and I think it already has. And one of the main reasons is because it should spark conversation. I mean, we have enough stuff to talk about. Man, we got all kinds of stuff coming at us. But it's such a good thing to be able to spark conversation, what God's doing through His Word, uh, and, and really the source of all wisdom and goodness. Amen? Amen. So we're going to uh, kind of briefly look at what we, what we went through last week, not very long. Basically, Paul's been having to deal with uh, the false teachers that have wormed their way into the fellowship at Colossae. It's a young church. And they come in with all kinds of crazy ideas and crazy thoughts about um, who Jesus is and who God is. But Paul, he continues to come back. And so as you read through this letter, you notice he continues to talk about the sufficiency of Christ. And we learned last week that the sufficiency of Christ, first of all, it brings comfort and encouragement. Knowing that our sins are forgiven. Knowing that the Lord intercedes on our behalf, that we have the Holy Spirit with us, brings us comfort and encouragement, no matter what we're going through. We also notice that the sufficiency of Christ brings unity and love. You know, the importance of being knit together as a local body, as a church. It's so important. And we, uh, we learned and understood that um, our depth of understanding in Christ, it's not complex, but it's made more full by our fellowship, by being together. And so there's a warning for those who choose not to attend a church. They think they can do Christianity on their own. And I'm sorry, it leads to, typically leads to uh, backsliding and and quite frankly, weirdness. uh, When somebody thinks, well, I hear from the Lord and I never meet with any of the Lord's people. So there's so much uh, to be learned, being unified, being knit together in love. We also have, uh, we learned that Christ, uh, the sufficiency of Christ brings full assurance, okay? As we mature in our faith, we don't continue to have questions as to whether we're saved or not, whether God loves us. Yes, we will have difficulties, of course. But as we grow and as we set those roots down, you know, as a strong tree, as a solid foundation, as a, as a, as a building that's built on the cornerstone of Christ, we experience full assurance, And also he said that uh, the sufficiency of Christ means that in him, in Jesus Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. You don't have to add a book. You don't have to do an extra thing to get closer to God. It's simply there. He's there with you in his word. And he's there living inside of you. And so there's sufficiency in that. You don't have to look beyond Christ for true wisdom and knowledge. And then finally, he concluded by saying, you are complete in Christ. So therefore, 
Stick to the plan. Continue as you had started. Don't, don't think you got to deviate off to the left, start some new thing that the Lord, you know, it's not biblical or whatever. Stick to the plan. As you came to faith in Christ by the Spirit of God, you continue to walk in faith. Now, Paul, today, he's going to continue to explain a couple of things we're going to cover today. First of all, that completeness in Christ cannot be obtained. Completeness in Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, cannot be obtained by human wisdom or religious tradition. He's also going to make note that when you become captivated or captivity to this human wisdom and philosophy, it becomes like slavery. Okay, we can be really become slaves to the world system uh, and the world's philosophy. But, he says, captivity in Christ, on the other hand, is freedom and completeness. And so we read our passage, uh, today's passage is, is, is Colossians chapter 2. We're going to go verses 8 through 15. And so he says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11, in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And then having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so, Lord, you know, here we are once again. Um, we continue to come back to the, to the well of wisdom and truth that's found in you. We continue, Lord, to want to focus on you and all the work that you've done, the sufficiency that we find in you. And yet, Lord, we know that there's, there's a great amount of competition out there. We know that our own hearts will tend to wander off sometimes. We know that the enemy seeks to lie to us, to erode our confidence, and to erode our faith. And so, Lord, we just, we just want to bring ourselves back to the center, to you. We want to sit at your feet and we want to hear what you have to say through the power of the Holy Spirit, of the wonderful Things that bring us closer to you, knowing that we're sufficient in all things, that we're complete in you. May we do that today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So as we begin our uh, couple of verses, verses 8 through 10, we note that captivity to human philosophy is slavery. But Captivity to Christ is freedom and completeness. There's always a contrast. You know, you always have, oftentimes you have two choices in life. And here you have another one. And he says, beware lest anyone will cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Now to, to, to be cheated, you know, in that language, the King James Version says anyone would spoil you 
But what that means is to be carried off and to be led captive of spoil. You know, when somebody leads someone astray, they've got them captivated. We prayed for our prodigals this morning. And oftentimes we see that someone or something has led them astray, has captivated, and they can't see the truth. And that's why we pray for a breakthrough. But it's, it's what he's doing. He's saying, don't let anyone beware. Keep your eyes on, uh, you know, be, there's, there's false teachers among you is what we know. And he says, beware that they won't lead you captive through philosophy, through philosophy. Um, you know, and philosophy, that's, that's uh, the love of wisdom. And it sounds good. This is, this is when you hear something that sounds good until you learn that it was actually a false teaching. You know, it's always going to look good on the, on the front. I like what Kent Hughes wrote. He said, we must first understand that Paul was not putting down philosophy, per se. Philosophy, as he says, and I said, simply means love of wisdom. Everything had to do with the theories about God. Okay, uh, philosophy means everything that had to do, and even to this day, had to do with the theories about God, about the world, and the meaning of human life was called philosophy, both in the pagan and Jewish schools of the day. In fact, both Judaism and Christianity are philosophical because they make holistic claims about the nature of reality and set values to guide life. So philosophy in of, its, of itself is not bad, it can actually be biblical. But apparently, these false teachers were, uh, many of them were Jewish, because the content of their teaching combined these Hebrew rites of Greek philosophy, they added in some Eastern mysticism, uh, some, you know, religious rites from, from the Jewish practices. And this practice of combining religion, philosophy, and mysticism is often referred to as syncretism. And that takes place even in today's world. We see it all over the place uh, in the world today, where you blend a little bit of Christianity with a little bit of uh, folk, folk uh, you know, wisdom, folklore, and you come up with, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're, uh, you've got snakes. You've got snakes in your congregation and you're, you're handling snakes. You're doing weird things. I mean, that, that can happen. That's syncretism. Uh, that's, that's a real thing, even in our country. But the whole idea, the whole idea that these false teachers wanted to do was they wanted to bring some sort of deep spiritual things and add them to the mix, if you will, so that you could, uh, you know, kind of go beyond this simple and crude faith of Christianity. You know, Paul says, I, I preach Christ and Him crucified. It's simple. And, in, and to some who may want to have this sort of, you know, deeper understanding of things, uh, they're not satisfied with that. And they want to draw people to themselves and create. That's how your cults are, are started. And so what it is, is it's empty deceit. It's, it's vain. It's devoid of truth. They use high-sounding language. They even have rational and sincere behavior. And they can live very moral lives outwardly. Think of, there's a couple of, of cults that I think of that come to mind that are active in our, in our society. And so they would worm their way in to this church at Colossae and Laodicea, and they would try to erode the confidence and the faith that they had. They were new Christians. Now, this is, this is how modern cults have worked with great success. 
Uh, one writer put it, he's describing a cult that you guys may be aware of when I, when I describe it to you. You may understand where it comes from. One of the great flourishing cults of our day, he writes, has its credo um, and it has a theological saying. Quote, as God was, man is. As God is, man can become. End quote. This cult's belief is that God was once a man, but because he lived a virtuous life, he was reincarnated to successively higher levels until finally he became a god of his own planet and then the god of heaven. And so today we have thousands, if not millions, of people who are setting out to become gods. Now some of you know who I'm talking about, the cult of Latter-day Saints. But what happens is when we become master or we become let a tradition of men, philosophy, there's two things that happen. This philosophy is either going to be according to the tradition of men. That's one slave master. Or it's going to be according to the elementary principles of the world. And so he says here, traditions of men. These false teachers cobbled together all these various Greek and Eastern philosophies as we talked about. They added in Jewish mysticism and they presented it as long-held traditions. We have the ancient writings. But Paul warned that they could not be held, these ancient writings, these things that they made up, basically, could not be held with equal authority to Scripture. And so that's how you can start to tell when you're being deceived by someone. Now, in our modern context, we might refer to this as kind of worldly philosophy. There's many a people in search of truth and reality. You see it all the time. But the problem is that apart from a biblical perspective, men and women are only left with human knowledge and what can be learned from observation of the universe or the problems that they face. This is sometimes comes in the form of astrology. You know, that's been around a long time. You still have the horoscope in the online, of course, and in the newspapers. Studying the scars and the planet, the zodiac. So this tradition of men is also can hold people sway. Also, the elementary principles of the world. What are we talking about? This stoichion. Now, this can be understood in a lot of ways. There's a lot of broad, it's a broad word used often throughout the Bible, but it can be understood as, for one, it could be the basic elements that created the environment, the earth, the wind, and the fire, and the water, etc. It can also be the cultural thing, you know, um, a reference to basic sayings that cause an effect, uh, about cause and effect, cause and effect of life. You know, we love to say that, right? Because we're all living this life. We say things like, what goes around comes around. You can't get what you, or you can, you can Excuse me, you get what you deserve, which is not true because of grace. Okay, none of us gets what we deserved. But that's a, a popular saying. You get what you deserve. Uh, you can't always get what you want. You, you get what you, never mind. Uh, so, you know, those kind of things are catchy. You know, they, hey, it sounds good. It's a good feeling, right? I like saying it. You're cool. It makes you cool. Well, maybe not. Anyway, what we see here is really that it's demonic these basic principles of the world. Many uh, commentators have said this, that there are demonic spirits that 
were thought to control these planetary spheres. So you start looking at, you know, the zodiac. You start looking at these people's lives and the world order and the way things are going. And Paul, one writer put it this way, Paul here argued that these evil forces were in control of the false doctrine and desired to bring the Colossians back into the bondage they knew before Christ. Now, again, in the context of the scientific method, worldly philosophy and especially scientific theories such as evolution, listen, they are tied to learning only the rudimentary. You'll see that in some of your Bibles. The rudimentary, the basic principles only found in the world. And this worldly philosophy uses only human knowledge and worldly tradition to search for the reality and the truth of the world and life. That's how they put it all together and figure it all out, right? The only source of worldly philosophy, excuse me, the only source worldly philosophy uses is the world and its elements or materials. So you're, you're kind of shorthanded if that's all you have. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't trust in the Bible and you don't believe the Bible, you're shortchanging yourself with only what you can observe. And what do we see? We see this all the time. People want to know and they try to figure it out and they will tell you, some of them who have these theories, what is the origin and the universe of, of, of life? Uh, we went to the uh, Smithsonian this past year and I, I hadn't been to the Museum of Natural History for several years. And I, I, was, I mentioned this before, but when you go in there, they have all these Darwin quotes <laughs> all over the walls. And you can't go anywhere in the Museum of Natural History without hearing something about evolution. I mean, they have sold out 100% and completely to this fake uh, theory. And so, you know, we, we see this happening. But we have the question, you know, people are still going to ask the question, who is man? Where did he come from? Why is man here and where is he going? Uh, one is, where did evil come and why does evil happen? Can it be controlled? Is there a God? How can we know? Is there life upon this planet? All there is, that's a big thing lately with UFOs. I mean, a big thing. It's getting all the press. And is there life after death? I mean, that's being talked about all the time. Now, I will tell you this, and I, Martin Lloyd-Jones was right about this. Be careful as a Christian. Be very careful as a Christian what you read and what you dwell upon, your thoughts. You know, there are answers that simply cannot be answered very well. You try to tell me, you know, try to answer why God allows evil to take place. We have our answers, but they don't seem to satisfy most people. But you try to dwell too much on the unanswerable questions that God really doesn't clearly say in his word, you're going to become depressed. You're going to become... I mean, if you go too far, you're going to become psychotic. It'll drive you crazy. And you start to really wrestle with these things. And you see why the world, right now, upside down, okay? What is a woman? I mean, come on. Come on. And I could go on and I won't. But it, it gets, so be very careful as believers what you decide to take in. And I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, whenever you read a book that kind of digs into some of these unknown mysteries, and it's okay to do that, he says, simultaneously, he reads about the life of a missionary or a saint. Somebody who's lived a life, lived a good life for the Lord. And so he'll read some of that information, is what he would say, this was his method. He would read 
you know, what the latest hot, the, the latest topic book, I guess you would say, within Christianity. But then he would also, at the other part of the day, he would read about somebody's life testimony and how important that is. Because you'll get depressed when you kind of keep gr grasping for straws. And so Paul is saying, look, you can come under these systems, these philosophies, but at the end of the verse, after saying, according to the basic principles of the world, he says, you're going there, they're, they're giving you all this information, and it's not according to Christ. In other words, you're getting ripped off. You're getting ripped off. Another problem with the limited understanding of only trusting in these basic principles is that one day they're all going to cease to exist. I mean, our Bibles tell us in Peter, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both earth and the works that are in will be burned up. You know, you can study the stars, you can study the planets, you can debate about UFOs all you want, but eventually it's all going to be burned up. And if that's where you're getting all your information, I mean, life may become more comfortable. I mean, we're thankful for medicine and science. Life may become more comfortable. It may make life safer. And last, we, I mean, we might live longer. But it's not a permanent, eternal comfort and safety. So don't be ripped off. It's not a permanent truth. There's simply no comfort. There's no assurance or peace to be found apart from trusting faith in God through Christ. If you put your life and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did for you on behalf on the, on the cross at Calvary, you will have an abundant life. Your life's not going to get easier, but you will have a solid foundation for life. And you will grow in the Lord and you will grow to love him and he will keep you safe all the way to heaven. He'll take you all the way to heaven. Captivity to Christ, our next uh, section we see in verse 9. Captivity to Christ is freedom and completeness. But why? Why is that? Well, it's because God, Jesus, He is God in human flesh. He made Himself known to us. He is relatable. Jesus is relatable. Most of you, I say this all the time, most of the world's philosophies, whatever God there is, you can't relate to that entity. But Jesus, you can. He was tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted. You know, he, he went through all the hardship of living and, and, and you know, the, he, was, he was fully God and fully man, but we can relate to him. He's also approachable. He's a real person. And for him, in verse 9, for in him, in Jesus, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is just what we're saying. He's real. He's real. All this fullness. Christ is God himself. He's the maker of the universe. He's the source of all understanding. Why would we seek only to learn from his creation and not the creator? Why would we do that? Verse 10 says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Because of him, you have been made complete. You've been made full. And he's the Lord of all. Notice all principality and power. Three things to know if you're taking notes, just as a reminder, a good reminder. 
First of all, Christ is the fullness of God. You saw that in verse 9. Because he's present, that means he's not far away somewhere. He sent the Holy Spirit to abide with us until he returns for his church. Or he calls you home. That also means that he's love and not evil. He didn't leave us alone and he didn't leave us afraid. Christ is the fullness of God. And also as believers, we are complete in Christ. Not in and of ourselves, but in Christ. Through him we receive wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This includes the fullness of joy, the abundance of life, all of our life's necessities, the Holy Spirit, eternal life. We sang that song, there's honey in the rock of Christ Jesus. So Christ is the fullness of God. Believers are complete in Christ. Christ is the head. He's the Lord. He is majesty, the Lord of all principality and power. We've been saying that all through. Paul has been emphasizing the sufficiency of Christ all throughout this letter. No life force, no energy, no power, no person, no astrological signs can truly stand between God and man. Only through Christ can a person be presented as acceptable to God. John 3.31 He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. So one of the first things, perhaps when you came to know the Lord, and I, I, I've came to know the Lord as an adult. I was 41 years old. And for me, was realizing what a ripoff, what a wholesale ripoff man-made philosophy is. And I probably knew it all along, but it was confirmed. And it can anger you when you realize how deceived you once were. You're held captive as spoil for the devil's schemes. That's what was happening. But Jesus said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. I have come to redeem you. You don't need, you don't need spiritual gymnastics, whatever those are. You don't need angelic mediators or crystals or any of these other things to get closer to God. All you need is Christ because in him you see the face of God. You see the face of God. Don't allow yourself to get sucked into empty, deceitful, and demonic worldly philosophies. Don't do it. Don't do it. What about the traditions that we see in the church? Is all tradition bad? No. Not all tradition is bad. We, tra we sang a traditional hymn today. Not all tradition is bad. Timothy was instructed by Paul to pass along the things that he learned. Tradition, that's what that means, to pass along. But the important thing about any teaching is its origin. Did it come from God or did it come from man? I like what Warren Wiersbe said about the fundamental test. You have a fundamental test, if you will, of any religious teaching. Ask the question, where does it put Jesus Christ? Where does it put his person and his work? Does it rob Jesus of his fullness? Does it deny either his deity or his humanity? Does it affirm that the believer must have some new experience to supplement his experience with Christ? If so, that teaching is wrong and dangerous, he writes. And I agree with what he says. Now, because of him, because of the work of Jesus, we need to be reminded that you've been born again. In verses 11 through 12. 
Paul now begins to explain how your identification and their identification with Christ negates the need for any sort of compliance to the things like circumcision, you know, something we don't really talk about today, but it was a big deal back then, and obedience to Jewish law. Look at verse 11. Notice that he was, what he's going to say is you were spiritually circumcised and identified with the true people of God. Now apparently the false teachers were trying to convince the Colossians to submit to circumcision. And that would be a very painful decision, let me tell you. But it was also not necessary. Not necessary in the least. He says in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It wasn't the physical. And he's referring to the spiritual circumcision that you and I undergo when we become Christian. When you become a Christian at salvation, he cuts out that sinful parts of our body, really. He says, by putting off the body the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Now, when you think about your life in Christ, and we're always saying you're in him, you're in him. Well, when we, when we look at things like circumcision, Paul's going to explain, you're in Christ with that. I mean, when you became a Christian and he died on the cross, uh, the way God sees it is you died along with him. And so this spiritual circumcision, this, this thing that took place, and many commentators believe that what happened on Jesus when, his, when he was died on the cross, his body itself was circumcised, taken away from him for a period of time. And so he's, he's talking about this circumcision of Christ. See, real religion is not physical. It's spiritual. And when, become, when you become a true believer, Jesus removes or cuts away your sin and guilt. That's how you stand before him, sinless and guiltless. Even though we know we still sin, we know that that's a process of sanctification here on this earth. But if you were to die in the next second as a believer, you would not stand guilty before God. And so we're acceptable to God because of Jesus, not because of anything else. And so true religion, one writer put it this way, is not Christ plus something else. True religion is Christ alone. Christ alone can cut away sin. He is true circumcision and true religion. Romans 6.6, 6, uh, talks, Paul talked about this in Romans 6.6. 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We've been given a choice. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the enemy and to resist our own flesh and temptation. The old nature, which is what he refers to as the body of the sins of the flesh, that's our old nature, was put off. It was rendered inoperative so that we no longer need to be enslaved to its desires. That's the, new, that's the freedom we have in Christ. The old sinful nature we know is not eradicated because we can still sin. We know that from 1 John 1, verses 5 and 2, verse 6. But the power has been broken as we yield to Christ and walk in the power of the Spirit. Why are we always saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit? I, when you know you're being tempted, ask the Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You're having, you, you can't concentrate, you can't pray, ask the Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You're having some issues with somebody and you are angry about them and the, the enemy is bringing up old lies and situations that may have taken place. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Help me put it aside. 
And we can. And we do. And it's struggle. It's a struggle sometimes. This insistence on circumcision was a common theme. Okay, again, we don't relate to it much this, these days, but it was a common theme. You know, they were want to put a yoke of bondage on the people. And that's what can happen in religious organizations. And so you had, remember in Galatians, where the Jewish teachers, um, they came after the Galatian church, and they said, if you don't get circumcised, you can't be saved. You're not even going to have salvation. Now here in, uh, in Colossae, they softened that a little bit. They said, well, circumcision may be not required for your salvation, but it'll make you more spiritual. So be mindful of that. Be mindful of people say, hey, if you really want to get more spiritual, here's what I have for you. No, it's not written in the Bible, but hey, we got something for you. That's better. You'll have a deeper experience with God. Beware. Beware. Watch out for... Anyway. Watch out for the spiritual elite that you come in, run into. They can be dangerous. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Doesn't do anything to you. But a new creation in Christ, that's the whole difference. He goes on in verse 12, he says, talking about being spirit baptized. Again, we're talking about our identification with Christ. And so now we come to the ordinance of baptism. We talk about baptism and we, Paul uses an illustration once again of how Christ, you know, we were, we were in him. So we were baptized in his death and we were also resurrected with him from the dead. Look at verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. Again, this is being used in a metaphorical sense only. This is an illustration that Paul is using. Uh, some, some will tell you, scholars would tell you that the word baptize has both a literal and a figurative meaning in the scriptures. The literal meaning is to dip or to immerse. But the figurative meaning is to be identified with. And I believe, and many believe, that this is what Paul is talking about. This speaks of the work of God. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, God counts that person as having been buried with Christ in the baptism of his death. We already said that. And then you were raised with him. You were also raised with him. This also speaks of the work of God. This isn't something that you do. Now, when you are obedient, and you do choose, and you should, and I'll talk more about that here in a second. If you're obedient to get water baptized after becoming a Christian, you are declaring to the world that you have trusted Christ. You've trusted his death and his resurrection. And so when you're placed under the water at baptism, you're declaring that God counts him, counts you as being buried with Christ. And when you're raised up out of the water, you guys have all been to baptisms. When you're raised out of the water, he is declaring that God counts him as being risen with Christ. The point is that the entire religious act of baptism is based on what Christ has done. It's not based on the ritual of baptism. I say that because we have a, a even a university in this town, and we have several churches that hold to regenerative baptism. 
And we just don't see it that way. Well, I'm not saying they're not brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. But we don't come to the same conclusions when it comes to water baptism. Uh, we believe that only his death can stand for our death and only his resurrection can stand for ours as well. And so he says you do this through the faith and the working of God. This is that energy, that superhuman power who raised him from the dead. You know, one of the strange things uh, about this historical and modern Christianity, and when you come to the Lord, I, like, I use myself an example because as, you know, you, you, when you're middle-aged and you come to Christ, you already think you know a whole bunch of stuff. You really do. <laughs> and you have life experience. And it becomes kind of strange when you see the conflicts and the, and the things that go on. When you look at historical and modern Christianity and all the controversies that can happen, it comes from how the different segments of the church view baptism. So I, I need to say, for the record, we here at Calvary Chapel, we believe that water baptism is an outward declaration of an inward change. We call it believer's baptism. It is a command from Jesus to be baptized, and it would be disobedience for you to refuse baptism. We do not believe, however, that water baptism is what actually completes or secures your salvation. If any of you are believers here, we, we actually have, we have the luxury of having a baptismal here in our church. And so if you are a believer and you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you want to be baptized, we can make that happen. We can, we can put that on a schedule and we typically would do it on a Sunday afternoon right after church service. But it's the power of God, Warren Wiersbe writes this, it's the power of God that changed us, not the power of water. As we conclude, we go into our final two verse, three verses, and through verses 13 through 15. In Christ you are alive, you are free from the law, and you are triumphant over the enemy. You're alive, you're free from the law, and you have victory over the enemy. Verse 13, he says, he's describing the old you prior to your salvation. The old you, you were dead in your, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Again, using the word uncircumcision as a metaphor. This moral condition that you were once in, that you were stuck in. But the new you means that you were regenerated from death to life. He's made us alive together. He's made you alive together with him. And you're forgiven. You're debt free. In other words, he says you were made alive together with him and having forgiven you all your trespasses. Now the question is, is what more do you need? What more do you need if you're already identified with Jesus? What more do you need if you've experienced his energy through faith in Christ? What more do you need if God has forgiven your sins and you have a perfect standing before him? You don't need extra things to add to God's word. In fact, for, it was very important for him to say this to the Colossians because there were many Jewish Christians in the congregation. He says, you're free from the law in Christ. Verse 14. Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Wiped it out. 
these, uh, these rules and requirements of the law of Moses. That was against us. Why was it against us? Well, because it's impossible to meet its holy and righteous demands. And that's why Jesus had to come as God, as fully man, as a man, and die on the cross. The law rightly defines God's standards for judgment. It's a, it's a holy and righteous demand because it comes from God. It's not evil. But it cannot provide the law with you, you with any power to obey it. And notice he goes on further. He says, which was contrary to us. It worked in opposition to us. And what has he done? He has taken it out of the way. Jesus has taken the law out of the way. Not only did he take our sins to the cross, but Jesus took the law to the cross. How do we know? 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So that's, that's Jesus taking our sins to the cross. But notice what he says here at the end of our verse, chapter 14. He says, Having taken the law which is contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So he also took the law to the cross. Again, one writer puts it this way. He took the law that condemned us and set it aside so that we're no longer under its dominion. We are delivered from the law. We are not under the law, but we're under grace. We're talking about that this morning in our prayer time. We're under the law of grace. This does not mean that we're lawless because the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us as we walk in the power of the Spirit. Our relationship with Jesus Christ enables us to obey God out of love, not fear. Out of love and not fear. Notice also that we are triumphant over Satan and his forces. Because Jesus also defeated Satan and his army at the cross. Our sin, the law, and Satan. Notice it says, having disarmed, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. Your enemy, the devil, cannot harm you if you will watch and pray. And if you will put on the spiritual armor that we've been teaching the kids about this past week. Notice that he made a public spectacle of them. Jesus on the cross exposed the lies and deceit of the enemy. Satan thought he had won until Christ rose from the grave. And he triumphs over them. Now why is Paul saying this? Well, because in Roman times, whenever a Roman general won a great victory on foreign soil, he would take many captives and much loot and... He would take the new territory for Rome and he would have an, an official parade known as the Roman Triumph. You've seen it in the movies, right? You read about it in the books. The general is bringing the spoils back to the, to the city of Rome. And here's what Jesus did for us. He triumphed over all those evil forces, all the enemies of darkness. If 
Ephesians 4, 8, we remember from Ephesians, it says, therefore, he says, he has ascended. When, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. That's when he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So as we close today, remember our two questions. Our two questions we should always try to come away with from our church service. And if I've, if I've uh, properly given God's word to you, 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 sh- you, you should be able to say, well, what are we to know? You may have taken notes, but what are we to know? One is the captivity to human philosophy it can be slavery. If you want to come under the traditions of men, you're going to come under the influence of the enemy. Another thing to know is captivity to Christ is freedom and completeness. You don't need to look anywhere else. And we also learn that in him we're alive, we're free from the law, and we're triumphant over the enemy. Jesus is the fullness of God. Believers are complete in Christ. Christ is the head of all principality and power. There's none higher, none greater. So that's what we're to know, but what are we to do? Well, actually, you and I get to share in the victory over the devil. We get to share in that victory. We don't have to worry about these forces that govern the planets or try to influence men's lives. We don't have to worry about what the world is giving us, trying to feed us through these, um, what do you call them, Doug? These palantirs. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that anymore. I mean, it's coming at us in all directions. The satanic armies or principalities and powers are defeated and they are indeed disgraced. So as we claim victory for Christ, we need to use the equipment that he's given us. And we had a wonderful week of VBS with the, with the kids. You know, we talked about that spiritual armor. Do you guys remember what they were? What were they? What were the parts? Breastplate of righteousness. That's right. Shield of faith. Sword of the spirit. All those things. The helmet of salvation. What a wonderful position and provision that we have in Christ. And so, really, are we going to go live by it? Are we going to live up to it by faith? Because it's going to be a test of our faith every week that we go out there. As the worship team comes up, I just, uh, let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together today. Lord, we love you. We, uh, I hope we really did learn truly that we are made complete and full in you. We, of course, know that we have a responsibility, we have a role to play in this relationship with you. Lord, help us to do it. Help us to, to bring our provisions to bear, our protection, our spiritual armor. Let's join the kids that we taught this past week and let's do it as a church to make a, a real renewed commitment to trusting in you and maybe taking a break from the internet. Maybe taking a break from Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is that tends to get a hold of us. Maybe it's time just to be quiet and sit with you and sit with our families and enjoy the time we have together in peace and harmony with you. Lord, we don't know when our days will end, 
We don't know, Lord, when you'll be coming back. We sense that it is soon. But we abide in you. We have strength in you. We have peace with you. We are indeed complete for all things in you. Let us enjoy that as we continue. Uh, we complete our service today and as we continue through the week, we would ask that you go before us. I pray for all the families that are represented here today and those who could not be here. We pray for safety and peace and help when needed, provision, truth and love. All the things, Lord, that you have for us. I pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.